This is Ask the Experts. Here's Karan Bhatia. I am Karan Bhatia. This is Ask the Experts. We are reacting to the mega fight Canelo versus Triple G3, the trilogy. We're going to recap everything that happened in the ring last Saturday night. I will be speaking to, first up, it's Chris Camacho. He is the official strength and conditioning coach for Triple G, Gennady Golovkin. It's going to be interesting to ask him about Triple G's game plan, right? Starting late, Canelo maybe fading a little bit late, but was it a little bit too late? The scorecards did reflect that. We're going to talk to to Chris Camacho about the game plan and, and what was the plan in training camp and how did it play out in the fight and what was the mood for Triple G like after the fight. And then I will be talking to Luke Cattell. You've seen his work everywhere podcasting youtube in the world of boxing he's now released his book on amazon i'm going to talk to him about that and maybe even get into some golf so let's recap canelo versus triple g3 first up here is chris camacho i am karen batia joined by chris camacho the official strength and conditioning coach of Gennady triple g golovkin chris was in the corner we're going to talk about the fight, but you've seen Chris everywhere working with fighters like Brandon Adams in the world of all of combat, Daniel Cormier, tennis with Pete Sampras. Chris, you're everywhere. How are you doing, my friend? I'm wonderful, man. You know, just trying to stay busy. You know, you know, you know how the industry goes. You got to be hot, man. On to the next. On to the next. And uh, I know that you are staying busy. You have this big uh, client pool and you're working with all these fighters. And I've, I've, I've seen it up close. I've seen the work that you put in with strength and conditioning. It's a full service uh, type of thing. And you kind of transform these fighters. Um, so with Triple G, uh, you had the challenge of him taking on Canelo, of course, for the th- third time. Triple G was moving up in weight from 160 to 168. He's also 40 years old. So how did you how did you look at these? Were, were these challenges that that you had to face? I, I wouldn't say challenges. It was more uh, opportunities that uh, that were presented to us, and we really felt that uh, we could make the jump and be really successful. Uh, we were very excited for the challenge. Um, it was an exciting camp because majority camp is a lot of focus on weight cut and uh, and then all all that getting down in weight affects kind of the training we do so we were able to have a different approach to our training uh because the weight cut wasn't that significant where we can build a lot of power in the early phases instead of coming down we were able to stay there and and have some really good you know training sessions good sparring sessions because when you when you move up and when you come down in weight the volume the intensity has to come down a little bit to match it but we were able to kind of keep the volume and intensity pretty high throughout the camp because the focus was more on training and not so much cutting weight. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember uh, Manny Pacquiao years ago, always moving up in weight. I know Freddie Roach said he's happy because he can eat all the rice he wants. He can eat whatever, you know, whatever meal he would like to eat. Uh, There's no restrictions. And so when a fighter has some extra pounds to play with, like Triple G did this time, I'm sure it can help uh, in a a positive way, depending on the on the situation. I wanted to ask you about I mean, you had the unique perspective of being in camp with Triple G. We know that he was working uh, with head trainer Jonathan Banks, but you're, you're there every step of the way as the strength and conditioning coach. This fight was personal. For Canelo Alvarez, he made that public. Triple G, obviously, this was a big fight for his career. But was training any different? What did he train any harder because it's personal? Was it was it just another day in the office? What what was training camp like for Triple G? Training camp is uh, Triple G. From from my time with him, 
his approach towards everybody we've been with has been the same and it's it's very professional it's 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 very high level it's very focused uh it's v- extremely focused in his campus we go away so we're always secluded uh and i don't think he took it personal because his approach is just i don't think he could change his approach to make it personal because it, we have such a high level team with jonathan banks and james lockwood the nutritionist and, and the team and his brother uh max that uh we we always have this focus no matter who we're facing, and uh and and I I think he was had maybe a little more drive, a little more passion inside, but the intensity has been amazing and high throughout every camp. And uh, I'm sure it was a very intense camp. Getting ready for this fight against Canelo, the trilogy it was the big one, of course. Wanted to ask you about the fight. You were in the corner with Triple G. You had you had one of the most unique vantage points of any human being on earth. People would pay a lot of money for that scene. Yeah, you were of course lucky. in your office doing your work, helping triple G through combat in, in this uh, battle with Canelo. I wanted to ask you about the fight. I mean, K- triple G, I, I don't, I don't think it's unfair to say he didn't start early in terms of throwing an activity. He seemed to pick that up in the second half of the fight. When he did that, he had success. Was that part of the game plan for triple G to start a little bit slower I wouldn't say it was part of the game plan to start slower. We we knew that we had to win a pretty much every round, you know. Uh, looking at the previous fights, he you know people would say he did enough to win, but but uh, we knew that we had to get going, and and yeah, some of some of our plan was to kind of finish really strong because we believed that he would have the energy and the power to finish strong, and we saw that a little bit of that. But it's one of those things where. You know, I hear all the time from fighters uh, that it just goes by so fast. Yeah. You know, like like you you look up and you, you're like, oh dang, I'm in round six. Like I need to turn it up. And and with with these type of fighters like Canelo, you hear G all the time say, one punch changed your life. And and I think he was really focused and trying to like you know be active and and be responsive and 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 be uh and be quick and and counter back, but. Canelo's a monster by himself. He did a great job. He had a great game plan uh, coming forward. Would I have liked if we started early? And I would love that because I believe that we would have had the the power and the endurance to continue that that intensity from round one to, to round twelve. But again, we just looked up and we were like, "Dang, we're in round six, and and we need to get moving." You know, it was kind of what was in our was in our mind in the corner, and before we know it, the fight's over. And, and then you're just stuck with, you know, with what you did. And sometimes you just you just got going too late, you know. And what were you were in the corner with head trainer Jonathan Banks giving Triple G instructions between every round? Obviously, we know those are crucial moments. What were the type of things that that yourself and head trainer Jonathan Banks, what were you guys saying to Triple G between rounds? In between rounds, I'm not saying anything <laughs> to be honest with you. You know, uh, he has good coach, Dante Banks, and his brother, Max. And we were just saying that, you know, the, his movement was amazing. That's one thing that, that that Banks really worked on was his movement and and uh, and, it, and and his lower body feet work. We, we really like we really liked that in the beginning rounds. He was just saying, you know, we, we got to push forward. We, we need we need to let the hands go, you know. And and again, I, I think this rounds were just slipping away, you know. And and it just again moving fast, but he was just saying we we, we need to get going, you know. He was saying we we, we got to push the pace, we, we got to try, you know. We have to switch it up, 
you know, and and the, and the instructions were very, very, very clear and very good from Jonathan Banks, which is one again one of those things where everything just moves so fast, and you know, and, and if you don't make these adjustments right away, you're you're just you know again you're you're, you're stuck there, you know, and if if you don't get moving, time flies, you know, even faster right in the corners. So so he was saying a lot of good things, and I and I knew G was hearing him and was responding, and I believe we were trying to execute, but again. Canelo's a beast, you know, and, and we were trying to get it done, but we just couldn't pull it that night. Canelo Alvarez came out sharp from the opening bell. Triple G did turn it on in the second half of the fight. The scorecards reflect that. The punch stats reflect that. And, and when Triple G was more active, he was having success, landing the jab at will, setting up other punches. Um, and, and like I said, he did win. Triple G did win a few scorecards, a uh, few rounds at the, at the end of the fight. Um, Canelo in his last fight against Dimitri Bivol, he has come out and said he he got fatigued, he got a little tired. It, it might have been the weight, it might have not. It, it seemed like to the to the visual eye, uh, the second half of Triple G versus Canelo three was a combination of G stepping up the pace and maybe Canelo slowing down a little bit in the second half of the fight. We we also know Canelo's hand was injured. He's going to get surgery on that. He's going to be out for a little bit. Um, you as a strength and conditioning coach, you're, you're always used to seeing athletes and, and you're monitoring how much they're performing, how much output that is going on, how much energy levels they have. Did you notice Canelo slowing down a little bit in the second half of that fight? You know, it, it, it's hard to keep that pace. You know, when he, like he again, he came out sharp and, um, and, and it's very hard to stay sharp for those 12 rounds, especially in the early rounds where, where you got two veteran fighters such as uh, G and Canelo. We we kind of expected he would slow down. We, we Again, we thought that we would really overtake him in the later rounds. And and if, I just felt like if we were on the gas pedal a little sooner, we would have had a, a better ending. But, you know, yeah, I noticed him slowing down a little bit. But again, you don't know. He could be playing possum. He could just be hanging on the ropes because he does like to take rounds off. And we kind of knew that. So we were we were hoping that we could, you know, steal him, but we need to beat all the rounds. You know, for, for us to get this this victory, I feel like we need to have all the rounds. It was not just a half of the fight. But to your question, yes, I noticed a little slowing down. But again, he's a tremendous fighter and he comes ready in his shape. You know, that's maybe something him and his team need to work on and, and fighting for 12 rounds. But But again... He's doing a great job with that. You know, he has, he's uh, with all those belts. So, you know, I'm sure every fighter can improve. Canelo uh, has has the belts, as does Triple G at, at 160. And I, and I know that uh, he's excited to, to defend those belts. After the final bell rang, the scorecards uh, were said. There, there was a lot of mutual respect there between Triple G and Canelo. Before the fight, there was a lot of bad blood. And, and it was good to see the both men embrace and, and give each other respect. Um, they're obviously, you know, two living legends in this sport, two warriors um, who left it all on the line. You're, you're obviously inner circle with, with, with Triple G. You're in the ring with him, in the locker room with him. We saw him on the phone and, and it was reported that he was getting a call from the Triple G was getting a call from the president of Kazakhstan and you can see a yes. smile on his face. Um, so I'm sure that was, that was an honor for him. What was Triple G's mood like post-fight locker room? What, what was the, what was the mood like in, in, in you know, in the group, but what was Triple G feeling after the fight? You know, uh, Triple G is a special fella. He, he's really a special guy, and he's a pleasure to work with. His mood was upbeat. You know, that's one thing that, that I noticed of being around champions. Uh, you know, the, the high level of this fight, again, like I talked about, like, we we, we don't lose. Uh, you know, he came out healthy. It, it, this is the highest level of fighting you could be. To come out healthy, to come out safe, 
and, and to fight again, you know, is a uh, is a blessing. So so we were none of us were down. Yeah, we were down about the outcome. We want I wanted to take his belts. You know, I I had envisioned me holding them. You know, that was like my my motivation all camp. You know, I've been part of a, a few trilogies and I have yet to win them. So we were all digging really deep. All the coaches we really wanted this, but the mood in the locker room was so good. You know, he was just happy. Like again, happy that we're healthy, happy that we're all together. Uh, we had a, a great camp, and and we were able to, you know, not to execute it for our night and have the outcome that we wanted. But we came out all all ready to go and fight again, and and we we had an amazing talk after. Everybody was in good spirit. He, he's such a champion, win or lose. So so we were all upbeat. We were all you know excited for the future. Uh, we, we believe that there's some a lot of fight left in him. I mean, I mean. I, I, I really feel like besides that 1%, like Canelo, we, we still take on a lot of people and we beat them. You know, uh, some of the best fighters in the world, I, I feel like there's a lot of fight in them. Sorry if I jumped to uh, one of your future questions. But uh, no, we were just all, we were happy that it was over. We were sad, the outcome. But again, we were all upbeat all night. And uh, and it was just a, a great night for boxing. It really was a great night. And that was my next question. Looking ahead here, the future for Triple G. We know that he has said he's going to go back down to 160 where he has multiple belts. He wants to defend them. He wants to keep fighting. Um, this He's he's in no way calling it a career. And, and I wanted to ask you your thoughts. Um, obviously, as a strength coach, you, you deal with uh, different athletes and fighters and different age ranges. And, and we know Triple G is 40 years old, but he's not, to, to your point, He's not necessarily the typical 40-year-old man. This is still someone who, yes, maybe a step slower than his prime, but still can perform at the very top of the sport um, and, and it can still beat a lot of people in the division, can still be a problem and make for a lot of interesting fights. Um, so so you as someone who's up there you know, seeing his work as a strength and conditioning coach, how long do you think uh, Triple G can continue to perform at a high level and how long do you expect him to see, to, to see Triple G continue to fight? I think he can fight as long as he wants to fight. Obviously, we're getting close to age, and uh, and I'm, he's been fighting for some twenty years. You know, like you look at, I asked him when he started fighting. He was like maybe seven or ten years old, with three hundred sixty-five amateur fights and forty forty-some pro fights. It, it's crazy with that many, like with that little losses. And uh, I don't know how long he wants to fight, but but I believe that he can fight as long as he wants to, and. His work ethic is like our training sessions are like he, he doesn't slow down to a point where during training camp, I'm like, ah, oh, man, you know, I don't know. You don't look too good right now. He's he's always looked good. He puts every young guy that I have, he puts him in the dirt as far as work ethic. Yeah, I, like every we bring some young guys with us sometimes training and he just outruns them. He outlifts them. He outtrains them. He outworks everybody I've ever came across. So. I don't see him slowing down. Uh, again, I think we can fight as long as he wants to fight. I don't see him him fighting to his 45s, you know. But uh, but but I feel like there's a lot of high level fights in him. And again, like anybody at 160, you can come and get it. You know, we'll, we'll take it to anybody. You know, I feel really confident saying that to anybody in the world at 160. I felt confident saying that at 168. You know, uh, watching that again, Canelo, something special, and he'll go down as one of the you know great fighters of his time. And I, and I believe Triple G will go down as one of the great fighters in his time. So to your question, I, I believe there's a few fights left in us. You know, I feel like Triple G is not ready to hang up his beautiful uh, his beautiful robe yet. And uh, it's exciting to kind of be part of his end career. You know, I would love to be a part of his earliest career. But uh, hey, I'll take what I can get and just uh, 
make it the best. Canelo is a very special fighter. Triple G is also a very special fighter, and he deserves a lot of credit for coming here relatively unknown and doing what he did in the, in the ring and and dominating the division for many years and and creating that fan base and and you know becoming this international sensation. And Canelo was the better man tonight, but we can applaud both men as living legends in our sport yep. for for entertaining us and and performing at the highest possible level. Um, I want to I want to thank you so much for the time. I know you're joining me here. It's it's about 5:30 a.m. where you are, so the grind never sleeps. It's not like you're taking yeah. some vacation after this fight. The last question before I let you go, I wanted to ask you about. I know you work with a lot of fighters, so anything coming up that you're excited about, and then also where can people uh, follow your work as a strength coach? Where where can they link up with you? Yeah, um, my social media is uh, Instagram Camacho 100. That's the best place. I'm at a church here in Santa Monica when I'm not traveling with other guys. So if you're in the L.A. area, you can hit me up anytime. I'm always looking for high-level fighters to work with uh, and everybody else just to help. Right now, just taking time uh, with my family. I'm about to head to Churchill. I got a couple people. I got a young fighter. I'm going to check out today, see how that goes. But I'm just chilling with my family. I spend a lot of time away from camp. I miss a lot. You know, I have a beautiful wife, Michelle, and, and two uh, two daughters. I'm blessed with girls. So uh, just taking them to school, being part of, of what they're doing is uh, just happy to be home. And then, you know, sneak into Churchill and slowly get back into it. As of right now, I have no fighters lined up. So I'm just enjoying the break. But that can change any minute, a- a- any second. I'm always getting calls to, uh, you know, to take on whoever wants to get better. But uh, yeah, I'm just relaxing, man. I got nothing going on. I'll be waiting for the next star. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's it's a well-deserved mini rest there. Um, and, and I want to congratulate you for just being part of, of that massive event on, on Saturday night. Thank you. Um, thank you so much of the time. Best of luck with, with the next fighter that, that you work with and the next time we see you in the corner. Chris Camacho, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you for the call. I appreciate the FaceTime, man. Have a nice one. I look forward to talking to you more, like always. And that was Triple G's official strength and conditioning coach, Chris Camacho. Up next, it's Luke Cattell. He's a podcaster, author in the boxing space. We're going to ask him about his book. But first, we're going to talk about Canelo Triple G and break it down. Get the recap from what we just saw last Saturday night. I am Karen Bhatia, joined by Luke could tell you know him as a boxing writer podcaster youtuber journalist we have to add author to the list and i'm going to ask you about your latest book but first of all luke how are you doing my friend pretty good great way to spend the morning on a great podcast so very excited appreciate you getting up early to spend some time with me and and before we get into your book i want to hear all about it but we have to quickly recap Triple G versus Canelo three. It was an epic, epic matchup. The fight was interesting. It, it didn't have, you know, knockdowns and it was competitive in different ways. Triple G turned it on towards the second half. What were your thoughts about the trilogy fight? I mean, I, we see this all the time in Hollywood, right? It was lethal weapon four. we liked the characters. We liked the people. We don't really like the result. It wasn't really quote unquote entertaining. But it was nice to see Canelo and Golovkin in the ring and to see those situations because we've put a lot of time in our life seeing these two fighters compete and just be so relevant in the past decade. So, I mean, I look at it as like the Hangover 3, Lethal Weapon 4, that type of thing where in a few years we won't even really remember it happened. But they got to the end goal, which is getting paid, 
and it's now a trilogy, which I think was most important for both. There definitely was some unfinished business there that that needed to be concluded, and and it seemed like that happened on on last Saturday night. I wanted to to get your thoughts on on some of those scorecards. Uh, two of the scorecards, one fifteen, one thirteen for Canelo, which means it was about what seven to five. Um, I, I think most people thought Canelo banked more early rounds. Triple G seemed to start in the last four or five rounds. What do you think about the scorecards for this fight? I mean, the fight wasn't good, and I didn't really score it that intently. That being said, it didn't really feel like this was a fight that was in jeopardy. It felt like it lived in the range at most 8-4 Canelo. Um, at the very, if you're being very generous, 11-1. You know, it didn't feel like there was a world in which this was a one-round fight. You know, I see this type of result at club shows. Maybe people were thinking about what kind of food they wanted to get. You know, they were thinking about, are they going to Red Lobster? Or are they going to Strip Steak or something? And because of that, and a lot of the rounds were uneventful, maybe that's why we got kind of a bad outcome. And you got to love boxing, right? Because like the scorecards are bad, but there's going to be no punishment. There's going to be no accountability for turning in bad scorecards other than they're going to get rewarded with another title fight. And that's boxing. And, and you know, it is it is an interesting thing about scoring. Scoring is subjective. And I guess if you want to make a, a case for Triple G here, obviously he turned it on in the second half of the fight. So let's say between 8 through 12, at some point he turned it on. Let's say you give him four of those rounds. The first round is generally in these fights, even though I, I felt like Canelo started pretty strong. But generally, it's like a feeling out round, which could kind of be a toss up. So in theory, you could give you know G in the early first round and let's say four of those rounds at the end. That adds up to five rounds. That's where that's where that kind of probably comes from. Um, but but that's just part of this sport, the subjective nature of uh scoring looking ahead here where where do you think each man man goes uh obviously canelo ha is going to get surgery he's going to be out for a little bit uh triple g wants to go back down to 160 he's got multiple belts there he looks to defend them w what do you think is the future for both canelo and triple g well i think for golovkin the big thing that he's going to do is probably go on the golovkin world tour so like i look at michael sarafa in australia i look at other kind of mandatory challengers and just see like he brought up Mexico. He brought up Kazakhstan. He brought up Australia. I think it's the farewell Golovkin tour where he never maybe fights again in America, but he goes across the nation on this kind of global event, kind of legend guy tour. For Canelo, I think it's very interesting because I like we could be looking at him returning against a fighter like John Ryder. We could be looking at Dimitri Bivol. We're looking at such a long time when he comes back, like. Maybe in theory it's May, but it could be further back from May because of the surgery. Because of all of that, we have to see what the landscape of boxing looks like heading into the next year to start to understand who Canelo is fighting, where he's fighting, and kind of just what makes the most sense. And I'm, if I'm not mistaken, isn't that also Canelo's last fight on his DAZN contract as well? So that could also play a factor. It'll be interesting to see what platforms uh, these fighters end up on if they continue to be on the zone or elsewhere. We've seen Canelo dabble in a couple other places. Of course, Triple G uh, spent time on HBO before he got on the zone. And and if it is uh, Triple G's last time fighting in America, I think we need to just applaud you know the the great fighter, the living legend that Triple G is, and and just seeing his career you know evolve, coming here relatively unknown and doing what he did, building the fan base. And of course, same to Canelo, he gets a lot of credit. 
for for starting early against Triple G and getting the job done. Um, so that was that was Triple G Canelo the trilogy. Now we need to get into our main event here. I need to ask you about your book. It's I'm looking at it on Amazon right now. It has a perfect five star uh, five star rating. It's Inside the Ropes of Boxing: A Boxer's Guide to the Sport by Luke Cattell. Tell me tell me about this book. What what is it about and how did it come together? Um, yeah, I mean, the big thing was I, I have a good friend named Frank Steya, who's a good friend of mine. And Frank, me and him talk on the phone like friends do. And he just said that before I was done, before I'm done living my life, I should write two boxing books. So I went to my bedroom and I started writing about things I knew about boxing, kind of wrote out some chapters and I didn't think it would go anywhere, to be honest. I've, I've written a lot of things that don't go anywhere. And within three or four days, a lot, I had written a lot, you know, and it kind of went from there to the point where it was like, okay, I've written a hundred, I think I wrote about 170 pages. And then I gave it to an editor, which was very humbling because it's like, basically they trimmed it down to 117 pages and said, okay, look, this is not good. Like this part isn't good. This is good. And in my, in my heart and in my head i wanted to have like a vanity project where it was like this big thick book and it's like when you make it thinner you're like oh man would the consumer want it would they would they like something that's small so really what it came from was just a general conversation with frank Steya, and then um i guess once once the battery got in my back then i just kind of ran with it and it is out now, um, the the description talks about uh, it gives you a vivid de- depiction of boxing from the ground up, what you you look for when you enter the gym, uh, when you want to turn professional. So who is this uh, book targeted for? Who Who is your ideal audience for this book? Well, I think the, the book like so I, I don't even think it's like a book. It's more of like a treatise. Um, Niccolo Machiavelli's The Prince is one of my favorite books. Richard Caro. Uh, the master of the Senate books like that. And I think it fits more into those veins. And what I mean by that is I think that boxing has a lot of social norms and roadmaps to be successful. First off, just as a fighter, whether you're an amateur fighter or you're just trying to get as much out of the sport. And then as a professional, there's also a lot of kind of navigational tools that are not unlike life, right? You have to learn how to navigate college. You have to learn how to navigate kind of a workflow or anything boxing has a level of competency in terms of navigating systems that's unlike any other sport so what this is is maybe for a parent a fighter or an enthusiast to look at this and you don't have to agree with everything but be aware of certain situations that can come up and this is just simply like i don't know something to reflect on as a fighter or as someone that loves the sport and you obviously have a passion for this sport. You've you've been covering the sport for a long time. I'm looking at the cover here. I see uh, I see a nice drawing here. I see you in front of a boxing ring. How did, how did the cover come together? The cover's cold. I like the cover. Um, I always I was think about the other day. One day I'm gonna pass on, and it's like that would be cool if that got animated one day. You know, like a little a, two people fighting, and then I just emerge like one of those cartoons from the 70s that were like the Christmas, like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I see it as like almost like a claymation of me talking in this voice and stuff. But um, Cronk Art, 
he's a really good artist and he had done my podcast poster and i was look when you write a book it's always going to come down to the cover because what's the first thing everyone tells you about books oh don't judge a book by a cover well when people speak in the negative that's what most people do right so if they say don't judge a book by a cover eight out of ten people are going to judge how good a book is probably by the the quality of the cover is made and what the image is so I wanted to give someone, if someone's going to pay money to support me and my thoughts and my boxing experience, I wanted to give someone at the very least a quality cover that they could put on their kitchen table and simply say, I'm boxing guy. Hey, this is a conversation starter around boxing. Even if they never read the book, at least it's something that could be in your house that could define you in a positive way. You're releasing this to the world now. Um, it's, it's obviously going to get the attention of boxing fans as it should sports fans and, and other people in, in the world as well with this book. All right. What is, what does success look like for you? Uh, do you want it to be an international bestseller? Do you want people in the boxing community to, to like it and respect it? What, what, what is uh, the definition for success for you? I think I've already kind of hit that in like three days. Um, I did this completely self-published and I've sold over a hundred copies in three days. So, I mean, like, I didn't really have any expectations, to be honest. I know that it's not a good way of saying it, but it's like I just jumped in to kind of do like once I had written the book, I just didn't want to go about this kind of half halfway doing it. I wanted to go all in just because why not go all in? So I wanted to get a professional cover. I wanted to get a professional editor. I wanted to make sure uh, Mario Serrano was involved so he could send out a press release. I wanted to cover the basis of a true professional the same way how if I asked to be on your tremendous show and it's like I have to wake up early, you have to fulfill the professional obligations to be a professional. That being said, I think that independently, I just want to sell enough or more than I'd expect basically out the trunk not unlike a rapper like too short from where i'm from like the bay area where i'm just getting this on my own you know this is completely independent everything was funded by me and this is completely supported by the people that uh support me and uh you you uh did wake up early to join me on this podcast so i i do appreciate that uh you mentioned the self-publishing and i'm just curious if you can Kind of uh, tell us a little bit about the process. Maybe someone listening to this wants to is curious about writing their own book. Um, what what is the process like? You you mentioned writing this. Um, uh, you know, I'm guessing you're using Google Docs or Word or or whatever you're using, and then you mentioned linking up uh, with an editor. What what are the what are the steps to 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 create a book like this? So I opened up Pages on my Mac lab book laptop book. I think if anyone's going to write a book, just write your chapters first. If it's kind of like a self-help genre book, if you're writing a an, a book that's more of a story, I think it would be more difficult because you'd have to roadmap it out and then you'd have to think and think it through situations and maybe create dialogue. That probably a little more difficult, but it's probably the same. So you write it out. It took like four or five days for me to write it. And then I'd kind of, okay, I sent it. I found an editor who's someone I knew. You pay, you have to pay them because if you don't pay them, then they don't do a good job, right? It takes forever. So you send it to the editor, pay them. And then I'd talk to people and I'd add stuff, you know, I'd add, add components that I felt were vital 
that people should know. Like a like a thing that I've thrown in this book is you need a cut man if you're a professional. How many professional fighters show up to fights without cut men, right? But a fight can be stopped on a cut. Yet so many professional fighters don't even have a relationship with a cut man. And it's like, it's vital that if you're going to be a professional in boxing, you're going to be a world-class boxer, or at least you want to give yourself that chance. Why would you entrust your career to someone that you don't even have an invested interest in, or they don't even know you that well? You're just hoping that a true professional like Stitch Duran or Mike Basil might be in your corner. So kind of, I think that just thinking about life lessons that I always kind of think of, why wouldn't people do that, including that? To get back to the original question, Amazon has an amazing self-published program. That being said, you have to make a Kindle version and a paperback version. And it's very, very tedious and it's attention to detail. And it's a lot of submit fail. It took about two to three weeks. And there's been some people that got a copy. My man, Calix Boxing, he got the ebook. The ebook hasn't been delivered for some reason. So I'm sending him a book to take care of him. But there's a lot of technical learning when you self-publish because I've never done this. And there is like a, a learning curve. So it's very doable. It's just more so you just have to pay attention to the details. And and you did that and you you took it from an idea to actually self-publishing it. And it is available on Amazon. Now, writing the book. And creating it and publishing it is one thing. The next step, obviously, is going to be marketing it and getting the word out. You have a following on Twitter, on, on social media, on YouTube. So I'm sure you can promote it that way. You're, you're speaking to me about it right now. Um, what, what is your plan for for marketing this book and, and getting people aware of it? Well, um, a quote I say pretty much every day, and I always give credit. James Prince has a, a quote in his book that I use. It goes, if you campaign long enough, you will get elected. So simply for this book, I'm simply just campaigning. I'm going to campaign no different than a grassroots politician might campaign in Kentucky. So um, I'm going to go to where my source is strongest. And I'm going to not neglect the people that care about me. And those that want to support, we're going to give, we're going to focus on them. And those that don't want to have me on their media outlet or those that don't want to buy the book, I'm not too worried about what they're doing. My whole premise of marketing this book is focusing on those who support me, focusing on those that want to be involved. And we're going to really target that area. So the marketing is going to be very simple. Those those who have an interest, well, those are the ones we're interested in. You mentioned earlier that the plan was to write two books, I think. So this is your first one. Are you, can you, I don't, I know it's early, but can you tell us what, what the second one's going to be? Yeah. I mean, I think that like, there's a few books I'd like to write. So like the one that I'd like to write next year, which I probably won't is I'd like to, kind of go through a slew of college athletes and see what motivates them, whether it's money or legacy, especially with NIL um, and all this other stuff. So I think that there's an assumption by older people that young people are playing sports kind of as a get rich scheme and so forth. So I think that'd be interesting just to interview young people and get a perspective on like 
is Kobe Bryant emerging or is the reason we're not seeing a Kobe Bryant like athlete coming out of the college system because there's so much money in it. People are content with their lives, with the money they're accumulating in terms of boxing. I'm sure there'll be other ones, but I don't really have another boxing story in me just now. Like, I don't know. I'm sure something will come up, but I'd much rather write like a narrative story. Like there's a story I want to write about like kind of one long cab ride. I was thinking about the other day. So those are the kind of things, but I think for Frank to fulfill my obligation as a friend to Frank and his suggestion, I have to write two boxing books. I think the second one uh, I'd like to have glossy pages and I'd like to probably have a publisher of my own. So then it just looks like I step my game up. So the big thing when you do a book is you want to step your game up. So when I write another boxing book, I'm going to have to step my game up. In terms of the process of, of writing a book and self-publishing, I mean, it's something that is, seems very exciting, but when you're in the trenches of it and you have to get some pages done, sometimes it can be difficult, I'm sure, because there are days where you have a lot of motivation and pages fly by. And I'm sure there's times that, that you dealt with writer's block and, and you weren't able to put enough uh, words down. And it can be tough if it is self-publishing because you may not have a publisher and, and saying, hey, here's your deadline. I need this by this time. Um, so what was what was the process like for you and how are you able to to get past writer's block? Completely unprofessional. Completely unprofessional. Um, five days was how long it took me to write the whole book, which kind of scares me because it's a short book. So it makes me wonder, like, should I have done more? Like, there's a lot of insecurities when you write something like this. Should I have done more? But five days, you know, I just literally, I wrote and I'm like, what else should someone know? And it's like, well, the parents in boxing should do a chapter about parents involvement in boxing. And it can be really great and it can be really bad. So let's think about the parents. Let's talk about emotion. Let's talk about what a big fight looks like. Let's talk about going pro, finding a promoter, the manager. And it was just kind of like I was sitting in my room stewing, just thinking about things over and over. And that was it. You know, I just wrote it in five days, probably four days. I'm forgetting the exact number now, but it's like four or five days. And then it took about two and a half months to edit it and get the cover done. So everything outside of the book took a lot longer. I know that uh, you have more plans for for some books. I, I know that you're a golf enthusiast. Any chance we see you uh, writing about the great, the great game of golf? In a perfect world, that would be my next book. The problem is like my interests don't always match the interests of the people that want to buy the stuff I make. So it's like, I'd like to talk about the President's Cup for this whole podcast. But what I like doesn't mean that the people that like what I do want to hear my opinions on golf. I just enjoy golf, you know, and that's I think that's another mature lesson that I have to learn in life is to value the stages where people view me as having a platform. So I'd love to write a book on golf. I think one of my major inspirations for this book is the Ben Hogan book. Ben Hogan's my favorite golfer. And yeah, I mean, it's, it would be great to write it on, but at the same time, I, I would have to pick a topic in golf that I feel like, it, I think I'd pick something like the um, LPGA or the women's, the women's journey in golf because I just feel like women's sports in general doesn't get enough coverage. Like look at Katie Taylor as a boxer. She's fantastic. She sells out Madison square garden. She gets a lot of attention, but really in the big scheme of things, she really doesn't. 
for like how great she is. People don't talk enough about that. So, I mean, maybe that would be the entry point, but who knows? But I, it would be great if I could do it. It would be great if I could write a book about the golf courses of the world. I'm trying to go to Northern Ireland and Dublin next summer and play Royal County down and all those great courses. Katie Taylor's uh, story definitely deserves that, that mainstream attention, right? That, you know, when she was starting out, she had to, she had to box with the boys because there was no, the girls boxing at the time. And then she worked her way up and uh, obviously became a, a sensation. Um, but yeah, definitely deserves more mainstream treatment. Uh, I can't let you go without asking you about the world of golf. Obviously it's a disruptive time right now. It's an interesting time. There's a lot going on um, with all the different entities now entering the golf space. What what are your thoughts on the, the state of uh, golf right now at a professional level? We're living, we're living out there. Um, I mean, it's kind of exciting, right? Because golf's never really been very exciting. And it's always been like, you know, uh, boxing is kind of like no businessman would ever really take boxing serious for the situations that take that come across boxing. Like a great business people are in boxing, but the way business happens in boxing is kind of goofy. And a lot of times it's kind of like a looting of a store, as my friend Dakota says, like a store is on fire and you can take as much as you can and then the store is closed down and then you look for the next place to loot. Um, which isn't like if you're an executive at a fortune 500 company, I just don't think that that business model works all the time for golf. It's like, we just kind of have had these traditional, like here's the PGA tour. This is the symbol of excellence. This is how you accumulate world golf rankings. The amount of money that you can obtain. It's just based on what the tour tells you. And now we're kind of getting this view of a free marketplace and players being able to compete with the tours. It's kind of an interesting scenario because like, I like that the golfers are able to compete. I'm a little uncomfortable with Saudi Arabia being the one that's funding it because it's kind of like sports washing and it makes it feel like they're doing this in order to overlook some human rights atrocities there. It's a very complicated issue. And for me personally, I think the other thing is like a, Golfers like Bryson DeChambeau, Cam Smith, these are some of my favorite golfers. They're becoming less relevant with the way the product is being packaged right now. Liv was in Chicago this weekend. I forgot they were playing. So it's like, I'm curious to see how Liv tries to compete with the PGA Tour because there is an element in art and sport where you have to make an imprint on the world to be a relevant organization. They have the players, they have the capital. Now, how do they change the world by putting together great exhibitions and contests? It's an interesting time, and it'll certainly be fascinating to see how it plays out. To close it out, your final sell here to, to people listening, where can they find your book? Why should they read your book? G give so, me your final sell. Uh, look, I'm not going to sit up here and be like, okay, you need to buy the book, right? If you think I'm a cool guy, if you listen to this show and you think I sound like a decent person, the, I tried to write the book the way I'm talking to my good friend that I'm going to play Beth Page, one of the colors, um, one of these days in this okay. lifetime of mine. Got to so make it happen. We got to make it happen. and We'll pick a color. Just I'll go to the pro shop. Hey, give us a color. And they'll go, okay, you can play this color. I'll be like, okay, it'll work. But um, I mean, I wrote the book the way I talk. I tried to write it as sincere as possible. And I really tried to use 
kind of like a lot of different experiences. Like I've, I've been involved in different capacities of boxing, none of which intentionally boxing is one of these things where if you, you'll probably relate to this, or maybe you won't, if you're somewhat competent in boxing and you're around gyms, all of a sudden you start wearing like 15 hats and it's not even like that you want to, it's just like boxing is so underfunded and chaotic. It's like, Hey, can you help give this guy water? Hey, can you travel with us to make sure this, Hey, can you do this? Can you do that? So you go from being a reporter to being an auxiliary. How can I help out someone that I care about and a reporter? And I think the perspective I have for a young fighter, for someone that's at the end of their career, for anyone that wants to talk about what I consider the boxing business being, not the let's talk about situational wealth and money and how powerful people are, but kind of how you can navigate political capital and power in the sport of boxing. It's a it's a good book to think about things like that. Every quest, every chapter has questions at the end of the book. It's big about reflection. I want people to reflect. Saying too many words already as it is. But I think that if I come across as decent, maybe check out the book. And I tried to price it fairly, right? 130, 120 pages, $9, $8 um, for Kindle. And then I, there's also a uh, Kindle Unlimited version where you can get it for free if you're a member of Kindle Unlimited. So we got that program. And the audio book is coming out in a few weeks. So if you want to wait, it'll be on Audibles and iTunes and all those platforms. It's great to hear. I'm excited for you. I am down to get that round in. Hopefully, I like Beth Page Green. Uh, I'm down to pay, play Beth Page Black like maybe once a year. You can't do it too much because it can really hurt the ego. I um, want to do red. That's the one I want to do. I'll do green with you. I'm, I think I'm going to do the trifecta green, red, and uh, black because I mean, I think black's just not going to be very fun, but I just want to walk through the, um, it, I just don't hit the ball long enough, bro. I don't hit the ball long enough and it's going to be a lot of hitting my low trajectory shots into really high greens. And it's just, I'm not going to get the ball there. So it's, it's going to be brutal. Like, I don't think I'll enjoy it or really like it, but I think it's just something that you do as a golf fan. It's just something you got to do. And, and we're going to make that happen. Congratulations again on the book. Luke Cattell, thank you so much for the time and best of luck to you. Thank you for being a great friend. And that brings us to the end here. I want to thank my guests, Chris Camacho and Luke Cattell. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the fights last Saturday night. A lot of big fights coming up on the schedule. If you enjoyed the show, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. It's at A-T-E underscore podcast. You can follow my personal channels at Karan Bhatia on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and any other social media platforms. And you can follow the show on YouTube, youtube.com backslash Karan Bhatia. Feel free to subscribe. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. Thank you so much. For Ask the Experts, I am Karan Bhatia. Thank you for listening to Ask the Experts with Karan Bhatia.